Well, welcome to The Journey, Tommy. And uh, this is Tommy Meeks. He's with us uh, today on The Journey. And The Journey is uh, basically a podcast um, for us to have conversations about individuals who've gone through transformation in their life and um, how they've had um, failures or setbacks and how they persevered um, through those um, for our audience to listen to that uh, even though you've been successful in your life in a lot of different areas, has there been times in your life where there's been some setbacks and what did you, what life lessons have you learned from that? How did you persevere through that? Um, but before we, uh, before we get started, I know we've known each other for a long time, but, yeah. um, but if you could introduce yourself, just to tell us a little bit about what you're involved with now and um, a little bit about, a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a lifelong Rockford resident, yeah. uh, born and raised here in Rockford, went to Auburn High School, Played football, basketball, and track, mm-hmm. all state, and a couple of those. Okay. And uh, went on to play college football for Eastern Illinois, okay. um, where Mike Shanahan was my oh, position really? coach in his starting days. And okay. Seeing how far he's gone, winning two Super Bowls with oh, the yeah. Broncos, and I had a lot of great teammates. And went through college, got my degree, uh, physical education, okay. came back to Rockford, wanted to. Coach high school football and teaching. Okay. In 79, 78, couldn't get a teaching job. Okay. It was kind of okay. tough. Was that was about the time the strike was happening too, right? Uh, I really don't know if it, it wasn't a strike at the time because I did a lot of substitute okay. teaching. Okay, okay. Right. I just, my goal was to get a teaching job. And, okay. And it took so long to get one, I just gave up on teaching. Okay, and, okay. And went into another area. Okay. Went All to right. work for FedEx. And at that time, uh had some issues, talk about the journey. We can get into that a little okay. later. Okay. But uh, I retired from FedEx 2009 and went to work for the county where I help young men and women sometimes that are on probation. I help them find jobs. Okay. And now I'm pretty much retired. I work one day a week, which right. is what I want. Okay. And right. I still help people almost every day. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great, great. So so it sounds like you've had a lot of different things going on in your life. And like I said, I've known you for a long time, had an opportunity to coach some of your kids back mm-hmm. when I was coaching yeah. at Harlem. And yeah. um, and so but, uh, before we get into your story, and, and there's definitely a couple of things I want to dive into, mm-hmm. uh, what do you do now? What do you do for fun? What, 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 is, what does Tommy do for fun? Grandkids. Okay. <laughs> right. okay. I have one that's two years old. He, he's, I always worked every day for FedEx. I worked six days a week for like 23 years. And I never really had a chance to raise my seven kids. My wife did. Okay. I had two marriages. My first wife okay. raised my first two kids. So okay. I've always worked. And when you have a lot of kids, you got to work extra. Mm-hmm. So I missed out on a lot of raising of the kids and seeing the grandkids around. So now in my retirement, we have one that we babysit for a lot named Dylan. Okay. And, uh, out of 15 grandchildren, he's, well, 16, keep forgetting. He's uh, the joy of my life, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that's what I do for fun and watch a lot of movies. Okay. And uh, I do my own TV show like you know. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, tell us a little bit about your TV, about your show. And you've been doing that for? 29 years. 29 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And, and tell us a little bit, what's what's the show about and uh, some of the guests that you've had on well, there? The show is called It's Time for a Change. Okay. And uh, I named it that because when I got the show, I had made a dramatic change in my life. Okay. So it kind of it kind of worked. So what I do, I just interview different people that 
are in the Rockford area mostly. And okay. It's just a 30-minute talk show. Okay. I get a chance to uh, interview some very interesting people, mm -hmm. and then I get a chance to promote different events that are going on in the Rockford area sure. to help people get their their event out there. Okay. So uh, I enjoy it. I met a lot of different people through the years. Okay. All right. uh, successful NBA stars, NFL stars. Okay. Um, politicians. Okay. Any one particular one stand out at all? Well, the one that stands out the most is uh, Craig Hodges. Oh, okay. Uh, that played with the Bulls, a couple NBA championships. Okay. Uh, a three-point shooting champion three years in a row. Okay. And he's a part of a sports promotion company that I'm trying to get off the ground. He's, okay. he's kind of with me. Okay. You know, but he's, he's the one because he's like, in my mind, like the first Kaepernick. Okay. He didn't sit for the national anthem, but he had a, a vision of how NBA stars and uh, celebrities could help make a difference okay. in, you know, uh, inner cities around the country. Sure. He wanted to start with Chicago. And okay. His ability to try to get that out there, it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. He didn't get a lot of support from uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Mm -hmm. Not that they were bad people, they just didn't see what he saw. Sure, he ended sure. up losing his NBA career after trying to really promote things. And, mm. and I, I've really taken a liking to him because he gave up a little bit of everything to okay. try to help people. Okay. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting thing. Sometimes, it, you know, um, Malcolm Gadwell talks about timing, you know, mm, and, mm. And, and, and timing has a lot to do. It's not necessarily the message or the vision, um, but sometimes it has to do with timing. And If he came out right now, he'd be on top. Yeah, it yeah. would be. It, it, it would probably get a lot more, uh, yeah. a lot more traction, and he'd have a lot more, uh, a greater ability to get that, get mm -hmm. that message out there. Well, you know, really, because you, you look back, uh, he did this in like 1992, I think it okay. was. Okay. And uh, you look at Chicago now. I mean, the South Side, West Side, of Chicago is kind of devastating. Yeah. You know, not not a lot of jobs, a lot of crime, a lot of shootings, and uh, mm -hmm. I've lost couple of fraternity brothers over there to okay. violent crimes. Okay. And uh, I think he had the right idea, but it just, like you said, wasn't the time. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean we, he or we should give up on trying to make a difference. Right. It's just that I think sometimes when we do have those setbacks like that, that when we go to look at it, maybe that maybe the timing played just as much as, as sometimes a lack of key support you know, mm -hmm. or whatever that may be. So, so your your background is a lot of athletics, and so yeah. how did you how did you get involved with athletics? How did that all happen <laughs> for you? I tell you, uh, it's two people. My uncle who passed away a while back. He, my father used to work two full time jobs, so he was okay. like never there. Okay. Two eight hour shift jobs. Wow. So my uncle came by. I was like about eleven, and me and my brother. He was like ten. He was bigger than me at age ten. Okay. My uncle said. You guys are too big to be sitting in the house. You need to be playing baseball. So he started us with a church league in baseball. Okay. About a year after that, this this uh, white guy named Max Schwartz came into the West Side neighborhood and said, you guys should be playing football. So he got me involved with First Federal okay. Junior Tackle Football. Okay. And uh, started off at a tight end. Eventually they moved me to quarterback. Okay. And then I played quarterback the rest of my, my career. So okay. sports kind of like got me to be a leader early okay and it, it really helped so you were a quarterback at Auburn Auburn high school yeah I was quarterback playing junior tackle okay and we won to see the championship then I was quarterback at Auburn high school okay uh, 
I went to Eastern Illinois as a quarterback. Okay. I, I played for Mike Shanahan my freshman year as a quarterback. Okay. Junior varsity. Then I moved to tailback. Tailback. And okay. I ended up playing the last three years at running back. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay. And and you played all four. And you yeah. Yeah. Played all four. Played years. all four years. They weren't great years, but we did a lot of good recruiting with wow. younger guys, and they ended up winning a national championship. And, that ascended Mike Shanahan into the Rams of success. Interesting. When you win a national championship, and a lot of those guys were freshmen when I was a senior. Mm -hmm. But when they won that championship, a lot of them came to us and said, you guys really helped us become the players we were sure. to get the championship. Yeah. And then you have a good coach like Shanahan. Yeah. He wasn't a head coach even then, but he was a position coach and right. just helped the guys move up the ladder. I know that when um, Caleb, my son, played, um, that as a freshman, how how important that was for him to have the older guys. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a big, sometimes a big difference. I mean, yeah. you got a 17, 18 year old going in and whole new world, right? Not yeah. with the parents and normal coaches, you know, the coaches they're used to. Mm -hmm. And then some of these guys are 21, 22, yeah. you know, 23 year old seniors. And uh, he had the same experience where they, um, it sounds like what you guys did is he was taken under his, they took him under his wing and mm -hmm. And really helped him and and mentored him, and that made a huge difference for him. Yeah, well, we had a great football player came in as a freshman, uh, named Chris Cobb from South Carolina. Okay, uh, Clover, South Carolina, to be exact. And um, he ended up taking my position from me because okay. I got hurt in some practice. Okay, so he started the first game instead of me, and I never gave it up. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I spent my senior year riding the pine, but it was okay. uh, it was good to see that a young man of his caliber, and he eventually led him to the championship. Okay. So I didn't get beat out by no Rudy Pooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was a great football player. He he had a drinking problem, and uh, I think that led to his death, early death. He mm. played Canadian football for a while. And okay. Then I heard he got killed in a car accident. Oh, that's unfortunate. Really unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And I think, you know, that, and, and maybe we can get into that piece of it, you know, mm -hmm. that a lot of times with um, – with that, uh, with with sports, with college life in general, there is a lot of uh, what appears to be just promotion of uh, of drinking and partying, and um, and and especially you know with the whole if you're if you're having a regardless of the team successful or not, you you have the status. With it. <laughs> and and um, what what was that like for you? Was that um, you, know, you were an athlete your whole time? Did, was there was there well, an element of that that happened? Well, I, I'll be honest. When I was in high school, I never touched a drop of alcohol. Never did any drugs okay. ever in high school. Okay. Uh, my freshman year in college, I started smoking weed. Okay. And uh, I did that all the way up until FedEx told me 15 years later that we're going to start drug testing. Okay. And I realized that the party was over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to happen. <laughs> so I, I, I had to, you know, stop using drugs at that point. Sure. And, right. Uh, okay. I went through, you know, a lot of problems. And you're right. It was it was like fun, mm -hmm. supposedly. But it could really, you know, ruin your life if you let it. Mm -hmm. And I was going down a bad road. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm guessing, I mean, so, you know, you've graduated from college, and now, now that I think of it, I think it was 77 was the year that they didn't have sports in Rockford. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, mm -hmm. so so that must have been a, a, you know, a difficult time to come in, especially being a PE teacher and, mm -hmm. and, and trying to come into the system at that time. And, and so you tried for a year to get into the, get into the system to, to teach and coach, and then you went, is it, did you go to FedEx right away?
way? No, I, I went to the Metro Center first. I was okay. working for Doug Logan. I was okay. in charge of security of all the bouncers, so I saw all the big shows. Okay. My all first right. night was the Stones, Rolling okay. Stones. Okay, all right. And then uh, a couple weeks later, he came to me. Uh, it was a guy named Joe Marino. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Sheriff Gasparini were yep. in, the, in the audience one night, and a controversy started, and I did a good job on handling that. Mm-hmm. At least I felt I did. Mm-hmm. Doug Logan did, too. Yeah. And they spoke up for me, and uh, about about a couple of weeks later, came up offered me the position to be supervisor of all the bouncers. Okay. You know, okay. so I always thank Joe Marino for that. Sure. Yeah. And I I remained supervisor for a while, not too long. It was a lot of those positions just transition. Yeah. 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 But I saw a lot of great shows at the Metro yeah. Center, and then shortly after that, I was coaching football at Rock Valley. Okay. Doing both. Then FedEx came into view. Good okay. friend of mine named Kenny Burns, who's my cameraman for yep. my TV yep. show. Yeah, yep. that's why I met right. when you're at the show. Yeah, right. And uh, he got me into FedEx, and the rest was history. They kind of really helped shape my life. Okay, yeah. okay. Right. It's a good organization, from what I what I understand of it. Yeah, they changed a lot through the years. You know, commerce is something else, so they they shift. But it was really a people company years ago and I think they still are but they're more corporate mm-hmm. now which is that's business right, right but they really helped my life I had a drug problem and I, I turned myself in because if you didn't turn yourself in and they found out you were out the door mm. so by giving me that opportunity to come to them and say hey will you help me I got a drug problem mm-hmm. and they did and I ended up working there 25 years okay and retired in 2009 okay. so okay. great company yeah, sure. I, you know, when you were talking about the Metro Center, I that was one of my first jobs. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah working security. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, so that was in uh, 80, 1985, I think it was, something yeah, like that. I so, had left by then. Yeah. I was with FedEx in 84. Yeah. So, but Doug Logan was still there, yeah. and uh, so I, I remember that uh, yeah. doing that part time. But it was you're right; it was very, very much a transitional thing. And but it was a great opportunity with some great oh, guys man. and watched some great shows. Yeah. I met some real great people. Can I tell you just one story? Sure, about yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Um, see, what's her name? Uh, now, now it's kill, killing me on the name. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't tell you that story because. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, Joan Baez. That's oh, okay. It is. Joan okay. Baez. Okay. She did a show, and it was about a hundred people after her show. They came up to me. Not all of them. They said, well, "We have Joan come out and just say." A few words, so it's about 100 people waiting. Mm-hmm. So I go backstage and I said, Miss Baez, you got about 100 people that want you to come out and just say hi to them. And she says, I'm not doing that. And I, you know, I was really upset because I had promised them I'd get her out there. She said, you tell those people to come in here and help me eat some of this fruit and <laughs> drink some <laughs> of this water and stuff. Yeah. So I go out there. I said, Miss Baez says she's not coming out. They go, oh. She wants you all to come in. I brought 100 people backstage. <laughs> nice, and nice. She hung out with them. Yeah. That was one of the great stories of what a superstar could do for people. Yeah. yeah. I had a, a similar type of story. Uh, I remember I was getting ready for a bodybuilding show, and I, it, the bulbs were new, and mm. I had gotten burned. And I was <laughs> just, like, just in pain. And I was working backstage and um, for the dressing rooms and mm-hmm. uh, for the VIP hallways. Yeah. And... Um, uh, performer Ann Murray was oh, was, okay. was, was mm-hmm. performing and it was a very low-key show we didn't have a lot of security but 
but I was assigned to, to work the hallway, the VIP hallway. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and all I was doing is staring at a door that didn't open, you know, it, it was, yeah. and so there wasn't much going on and they were going back and forth and, um, she had gone to eat and, and so I was still stationed to be there and I had my head down by my hands or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I felt this, somebody come up to my shoulder and go, are you all right, sir? And, <laughs> and I turned and it was her. <laughs> so you're right. There's yeah. been, some, uh, I had a couple experiences like that where mm -hmm. some superstars just showing their humanity, just showing yeah. that they're just ordinary people who can care. Yeah. I did something like that with Kenny Rogers. He did a double show here. Okay. Yeah. In Rockford. Yeah. And, uh, so, um, Rick Nielsen and uh, this lady used to play on uh, Mac Rockford, uh, Rockford Files or something from Rockford. Oh, okay. Uh, Jill St. John's, Jill St. John's. Jill St. John, yeah. Right. yeah. They were all backstage and I'm hanging around with Kenny Rogers, Rick Nielsen and Jill St. John. Because yeah. I was, you know, Kenny's, I was on his door, but I, he was outside in the hall with us most of the time. Sure. Was, I mean, it's just great to meet people like that yeah. because you get a perception of, you know, life is short. But these people have attained what they want. Yeah, they're very successful. Most people just watching. Yeah. But when you really work at your craft, you'd be yeah. surprised who becomes successful. Yeah. And who doesn't? Yeah. You know? and yeah. That's all the difference is. They're just as human as anybody else, but they become what they want to be. Yeah. You know? Well, and I imagine, similar to yourself in football, you know, specifically football, right? The, yeah. I mean, you played three sports, but football was the one that you went on and played in college, and right. it was more than just natural talent. You know, there, yeah. there was some extra effort, some extra studying that went along yeah. with that. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. And when you think back to that time period, and, and, you know, sports was a lot different then, you know, and even when I was playing, it's a lot, you know, it, now they have, it seems like they have camps all year round. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's a big moneymaker now. Yeah. I don't know if I like it, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, I hate these year-round athletes mm -hmm. of one sport. Mm -hmm. You know, I played three sports and, they make it hard on the guy that wants to play, you know, three sports. Mm -hmm. you know, the coach wants you there for basketball, but it's football season. Right. You know, and then after football season, they want you for basketball. And, and all these extracurriculars, AAU and everything, but that's just the world we live in. Yeah. And the ones that stick with it usually are the ones that make it. Yeah. When being a multi-sport athlete like you, what, what do you think was one of the benefits being – for you being a multi-sport athlete that allowed you then to go to that next level? Because there's a lot of people that may be listening mm -hmm. that, they, that they've that they been instructed and encouraged to specialize, yeah, you right. know, in their one sport. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you, th for your experience, what do you think your benefit, what do you think the benefit was of being a multi-sport athlete? Well, well, things were different back in the 70s sure. when I was out there. So it's really hard to compare the two. But my thing was, I tried to do the best in every sport I was in. You know, football, we were 72, basketball, we were 23 and 3, mm -hmm. and I was sixth in the state of Illinois in the long jump for mm -hmm. track. Okay. But today, they th these athletes are specializing, and what I always try to tell people, when you're good with technology the way it is, they're going to find you. Mm -hmm. So I still say the athletes can still play their one sport, move to the next, and to mm -hmm. the next. And if you're good enough, they're going to find you out sure. there with technology the way it is. Yeah. You know, so. yeah. I think for me, one of the big concerns that I had when I was coaching, um, especially my when I was a strength and conditioning coach, is that I was concerned about the athletes burning out mentally, mm -hmm. you know, not physically necessarily. I mean, obviously there's always a risk of injuries or, or whatever, but 
um, I was always concerned, even like with my son, um, I wanted him to still want to play football come his varsity year. Mm -hmm. So if to make sure he was still hungry that by the time he came in. And granted, you know, playing football and some of the other sports he played are more athletic activities um, versus um, skilled sports. You know, the, mm-hmm. some of the skilled sports, I understand you have to just literally put the time in. I mean, yeah. you know, certain things with basketball and, and baseball, you just have to put the time in. Because if you don't put the time in, you're just not going to develop that skill or golf or, or, or tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that they were still having fun. Because right. if they're not having fun... They're going to stop playing as soon as. And, and that's what you see a lot nowadays. You know, a lot of parents are trying to live through the children mm-hmm. today. And uh, kids are getting burned out. Yeah. They don't want to do all this stuff on weekends. But they do it because other people want them to. Right. And then the great ones do it because they really want to. Right. But there's a lot of kids that are doing stuff in excess, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just me. Yeah. But... Um, it's working though. I mean, if you want to be successful, you got to put the work in. Well, and I think that, I know for me at least, that that was the combination of being able to find that balance. And and I was, and I was very driven when I was a a teenager and, and I started great, you know, started off as a three sport athlete and then was a two sport athlete. Mm -hmm. Then it was just football and bodybuilding. and, Mm -hmm. And then I continued with bodybuilding later on. But, I never necessarily. I, I I recognized which sports that I wanted to continue to excel at. It was mm-hmm. it was about wanting to try to be the best that I could be. Yeah. And I need to. I knew I need to put the time in to do that. Right. And it was about putting that time and putting that effort in. Um, that it wasn't just going to come. Yeah. It's it's, it's not going to come. So, well, you you talked earlier, and so I'm a little curious. And this is kind of we'll go into that other part, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so all through high school, um, and obviously there. Uh, there must have been temptations to get involved with partying and get involved with different things, but none of that happened then. No and temptations then, for me. I, I knew very little about it. Oh, did you? Okay. And I okay. knew drinking just wasn't me. Okay. So, I mean, I was really into my girlfriend. Okay. I was into okay uh, sports. So you, so you're, so a lot of in a lot of ways that you just weren't exposed to it because you didn't expose yourself. I, to I didn't it. even know some of my teammates were smoking. Okay. Back then and drinking. Okay. Until I got into college and then I started smoking. And then they said, oh, yeah, we were doing this in high school. Oh. I had no clue. Gotcha. Okay. I was the quarterback of the football team, the guard on the basketball team, long jumper in track, and it just never, just just never was in my my view. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then college changed. College, I ran into some guys from Chicago and East St. Louis. Okay. That were friends, and that's what they were doing, and. I got started, and I just I never stopped until FedEx said you got to stop. Okay, I were, and I don't know if this was your experience, but you know I had I had gone to Rock Valley for two years right after high school, mm-hmm. and even going down, even you know being an older student going down, I still remember how um, intimidating I guess is the right word mm-hmm. that the, those those first couple of weeks of being on campus, you know, oh, yeah. and uh, with, with, did you have a similar experience? Oh and, man, that going to summer camp playing football with guys that were seniors. Cause just imagine high school and you're a freshman. You know, you looked at those seniors like they were like gods. You yeah, know? yeah. And then so you go to college, it got to be almost the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. you were expected to play against those big seniors now. Yeah. And uh, it, it was very intimidating. Yeah. But uh, 
after a couple hits, <laughs> yeah. you right you right at the point of playing football again. Yeah. And, and you can earn, earn get your confidence back, but yeah. then also especially earn, when you put some moves on some of them seniors that you know you thought were just superhuman, and, right? And uh, you were able to do things as a freshman to them. Yeah. And I think there's that 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 I mean you have to figure out how are you you know where's that grit going to come from you know what are we am I going to step up or am I going to shrink down you know and I think sports are a great way to to do that and I think at the same time you know it then there's that aspect of off the field and mm-hmm. and then those can be just as intimidating because um, it's a new environment new people you kind of know them but you don't really know them right. And, um, you know, new roommate, new, everything's new, right? Yeah. And, um, and so where do you think for you, or if you remember, was there a point where you went, okay, this is socializing or just recreational, and then it, then it took on a different life? Where, where, because you said that not only was FedEx there, but even before FedEx came in and put that mandate in, it sounded like you knew this, this was causing some difficulties. Well, you know, I'll be honest, I, I was playing semi-pro football in, in Delavan, Wisconsin. Okay. We were the number one semi-pro football team in the country. Yeah. And uh, I had never take, taken any speed to play college football, anything like that. Mm-hmm. When I got up there to Delavan, some of the guys were into that, and I started popping little speeders okay. to play the games. And, and it was kind of different, you know. And – that was like a turning point for me. I came back to Rockford and started playing for the Rockford Rams in the, in the early 80s. And then when I stopped playing football, I took a hit one night and pain went down both legs. I never felt anything like that. I got hit in the spine and okay. the back. And it was the weirdest feeling. And I said, I, I'm done. Mm-hmm. After I quit playing football, I went through a divorce. Of my first, with my first two kids leaving with my ex-wife, okay. and it just did something to me. Okay, I sunk into a, a deep drug addiction. Okay, and I was there for about five years of crack cocaine and marijuana. Okay, okay. I was just gone. Okay, but I was still working every day. Okay, you know, so still going to work every still day. Still going to work. It. Well, that's the way I supported my habit. I had to work. I had an ex-wife who took care of my first two kids. My current wife, Evelyn. Okay. That you know took yeah. care of our other kids, and I let those women handle my children while I spoiled myself. Okay, you know? and okay. I'm not proud of it, but right. I think I came out of it. Some people don't, right? Um, yeah, but uh, it, it it really hurt. Yeah, hurt my family for a while, but those women just kept everything together. For yeah. Me. When do you think when you said it got worse? I mean, it sounded like timing wise that it was about the same, not, not only had what you got exposed to when you were up in Delavan playing, mm-hmm. but um, but when you got hurt and that and you took that shot and you were done with football, right. I, I remember what that was like, you know, when the, when the athlete's no longer com- competing anymore. Right. And who, who, I know for me at least, was who's Kevin going to be if he doesn't compete. Right. You know, and, and that was um, – that was a dark time yeah. uh, of, of not knowing because I my whole identity was wrapped up in that. Mm-hmm. Was was there some? It sounds like there's some some aspect uh, of that as well. Yeah, I, I was known as all conference quarterback to a lot of people, but then I t- 
turned into a drug addict. I lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I kept going to work every day, and yeah. I didn't see a lot of people. I worked outside of Rockford, so a lot of people, like in the Freeport area, all the small towns around Freeport, okay. they didn't really know much about me. Okay. And for about five solid years, I was really out to lunch. Okay. And, uh, you know, m- making the comeback, and I, I think FedEx really did me a favor. Okay. By saying either you're going to work here and be drug free or you're going to be a drug addict and you're going to be on your own. Mm. That was the choice. Okay. And I chose to have my job and take care of my family like a man yeah. should do. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the best decision for me okay. and my family. So what as ma- as you made that decision to do that um because there's a lot of people that are in that spot where they know they they know they need to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um so tell us a little bit about how that that was why you made the decision. How did yeah. you go about what did, what some are, what are some of the things that you did during that time period as you're transitioning and and, and some of those demons are still there. Right, yeah. Now you're not medicating them anymore, right? Right. right. <laughs> so, so what'd you do with? Well, you know, I had took a trip right before I quit using drugs to Arkansas. Okay. With my uncle uh, James and Maggie Wright, and uh, they started telling me about what my mother was like growing up. Things she never told me. Okay. Things about my grandfather that I never knew because he died before I was born. Okay. Then I started learning about what my ancestors went through from her voice. Okay. And then they told me about this thing called Juneteenth. I had never heard of Juneteenth. What okay. is that? But when they described it to me that my grandfather never let any of his 15 kids work for anybody on June 19th, it stuck in the back of my head. Okay. And so as I went through the transition of getting off drugs, the things that I was told by my Aunt Maggie and my Uncle Frank, it kind of stuck in the back of my head. So when I really put drugs down, I was trying to find, who, who am I? Mm-hmm. Where have I been all these years? Yeah. And then I started looking at my ancestors and the things they went through in this country, mm-hmm. and I, I just took that on. Okay. I ran into a lady named Casey McWilliams okay. um, that was at Cablevision. Her and I, because I went there to complain about BET was on 24 hours a day in Freeport. And the African-Americans here in Rockford had to share 12 hours on one channel with the Hispanics, with Univision. So both the, the top minority groups had to share 12 hours a day on Cablevision. You had all these other channels there on the dial. So okay. I went to Casey to say, hey, Robert Johnson is from Freeport, the guy who started BET. I delivered to his mother. Why is Freeport enjoying 24 hours of BET and Rockford has a share with Univision? So her and I talked all day for about three hours. And at the end of that, she said, how would you like your own TV show? I said, how much will it cost me? She said, nothing. Mm. I said, how much will I get paid? She said, nothing. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> and so, you know, to have your own TV show, the access of cable vision, where yeah. they would go out. And I started Juneteenth. I started my TV show that April. Okay. And I started promoting that Juneteenth event that my aunt told me about yeah. in Rockford in June, on June 19th, almost two months later. Okay. And uh, they both just been going for 29 years, Okay. both both events. But it did something to the person. I right. didn't want to be that destructive person anymore. I right. wanted to help people see what I saw that. You know, right. drugs were 
at one point, cocaine was going to destroy me. Right. I had saw a lot of my friends dying from cocaine coronaries and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, so it just gave me a new lease on life. And right. I started promoting Juneteenth. By the way, I, I didn't mention what Juneteenth is. Yeah. yeah. Ju Juneteenth is the oldest African-American holiday in the country. A after the Civil War, April, I think it was April 10th. Okay. Um, the war was over. and. A lot of slaves didn't know that. We didn't have TVs, radios back right, then. Yeah. So, in Galveston, Texas, they were still working away as slaves on June 18th. And um, you know, June 19th, a guy named General Gordon Granger rode into Galveston, Texas, and told those slaves that they were free. And they s couldn't believe it, but they wanted their freedom. They started celebrating on June 19th. Okay. And it morphed into... Uh, Juneteenth, and that's what they call it. And, I got gotcha. you. And, and uh, it spread it throughout the South. Started off as a state holiday in Texas. Okay. So when I took that on, I, I felt that if those slaves could start celebrating, mm -hmm. you know, that they were Americans officially now, they weren't slaves anymore, mm -hmm. and all the hell they had went through for hundreds of years prior, mm -hmm. I started looking at myself, and I started looking at other African Americans that. Here we are here now, and our ancestors went through all of that stuff in this in this great country, and they wanted us to have the best of it. I felt that I should always do the best I can mm -hmm. as a man, as an African-American man, mm -hmm. so that we live up to what they couldn't live up to, right. you know, freedom, mm -hmm. work, earning money, raising a family, being productive. Mm -hmm. It was up to us to do better. Right. When I took that mantra on, it's just morphed into like 29 years of TV, sure. 29 years of Juneteenth. And, sure. Uh, well, it makes sense that it coincided. I mean, it, by by no accident did you go down to Arkansas, right, and, and, and right. asking those stories. Because mm -hmm. that whole time, you know, that, that same – that same Tommy that was, you know, star mm -hmm. football player, you know, three-sport athlete at Auburn, who goes on to Eastern, mm -hmm. was that same one that's going to ask those questions and going to be listening um, to, to your aunt and uncle tell those stories about your grandma and, and hearing all those stories, and it started planting some seeds. Yeah, it did. And, uh, and being able to use that as a springboard for transformation, not just, well, first and foremost for yourself, Mm -hmm. And and what I'm what I'm hearing you say is that because of what you've learned about that that June 19th and what it represented mm -hmm. and what it meant, then to choose to do something that's going to get in the way of that, like a drug or like something like that, mm -hmm. um, then this is bigger than you. Uh, right. You know, this June, Juneteenth and what what it represents is is much bigger than anything temporary at that moment. Right. I, I, I really felt that. I mean, um, you know, years later, uh, there was a guy named uh, Ryan Petty. He used to run the Chamber of Commerce yep. here in Rockford. Yep. He was from Texas. Okay. When I started promoting Juneteenth, the Chamber became some of my bigger sponsors. Okay. He was so supportive, you know, a white guy, so mm -hmm. supportive of what I was trying to do. And that, that made me realize that, you know, race played a big part in slavery, mm -hmm. but everybody – wasn't a racist. Right. There were poor white people and slaves, mm -hmm. but the slaves just happened to be there. The poor white people had nothing because they had all these slaves doing all the work. So what were they going to do? Who's going to pay them to work? Mm -hmm. 
And I've always felt there was a camaraderie with, with poorer people and minorities to start figuring out that, you know, this thing, when we work together as human beings, mm -hmm. we can really change the world, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I start seeing things that, that, that Juneteenth had the possibility to let people take their minds back to that time and then fast forward to where we're at now. That's just the way I think. Sure. And, yeah. and I, I think that when a lot of people recognize what our people went through in this country, they, 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 they can't say they went through it because I didn't go through it. Right. But they should be able to relate to what happened to African Americans in this country, let alone the Indians. I can't even get into that. Mm -hmm. But what we went through, all the steps and all the people that helped us along the way to get where we are now, it wasn't just African Americans. Right. It was good people in America that finally decided we can't keep treating people like this. Right. And in 1964, we actually got our rights mm -hmm. to go into the store, use the bathroom, drink out the water fountain. I'm 10 years old at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, when we used to go down to Arkansas, I couldn't understand why we had to stop and use the bathroom on the side of the road because, right. you know. We couldn't go into some of these establishments. Sure, yeah. You know, yeah. That's just where it was. Yeah. You know, Diane and I just watched, uh, I know you uh, like movies, and we were watching yeah. um, The Green Book. Green Book, yeah. You know, we just watched that the other night for the first yeah. time. Mm -hmm. And um, and watching uh, the, the main character, why am I drawing a blank? Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank, the main I character. I can't think of his name yeah, either, yeah, pretty, but I know but, it. Yeah. And, um, and it was based on a true story, right. and I and I was watching him in, in his character uh, struggle that you know he was this genius mm -hmm. and had been born this born this uh, phenomenal musician um, from an early early age he you know who's playing you know just playing amazing mm -hmm. and he wasn't he played for rich white white individuals at that time primarily but didn't fit in there once mm -hmm. the show was over it was different and then but he also wasn't uh, didn't fit in with with blacks either, and he, he struggled. And, yeah. and I, I saw the same movie, and I heard different interviews okay. about the movie. Okay. You know, like I told you before, when I talked to Coach Boone, yeah, yeah. it really changed things when yeah. it's a true story. Yeah. So just imagine this black guy going down to Louisiana, Tennessee, Georgia, playing for all these rich white folks. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, it really didn't happen like that. Oh, no. Okay. He was playing in front of uh, well-to-do black folks, oh. from what I understand, oh, okay. in other interviews. Okay. But, you know, to make the movie like people wanted to be. Right, right. Okay. The character was the same. Now, now, I'm not saying he never played in front of white people, but from right. what I understand, different interviews, different family members coming forward saying that it wasn't really just like that because he really wasn't accepted. Okay. in a lot of those places. So he went to rich black people that were at colleges, okay. Morehouse, you okay. know, Spelman, things like that. Okay. And okay. the educated minorities, the goal was to raise money to uplift. Right, okay. Uplift. okay. Now this is just what I heard on, on a local radio, a serious, on serious uh, urban view. I okay. heard that. Okay. So, and I think in with that, I mean, he. it sounded like that, 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 at least the way it was portrayed in the movie, that struggle of, 
Um, he was he performed and he was a, he had that magic which he could perform and get into that space, but mm-hmm. it still was a struggle that a lot of individuals. Yeah. Um, where do I fit in? And yeah. um, and um, and I think and I think there was just some other things that were implied in the movie too mm-hmm. that may not be true as well. Well, I mean, I hate to take away, but after, after talking to Coach Boone, you know, you you see these true stories, you think everything is true. Yeah. But I like a good movie, yeah. And I think everything about the Green Book is kind of true but I don't think all of it's true yeah. but really at the end of the day it it, it all worked out yeah. I mean at the, when you when you think about it at the end of the day America had got to a point where we are better than we used to be mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know I mean I really I really believe that yeah, we are better than we used to be and we can be even better than that right. going forward if we just realize that Humanity is the main goal as we live as human beings, how we treat each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the only way we can function, even with drug addicts. Uh, I used to tell my friends a long time ago, you know, a lot of black people were involved in the 60s and 70s with heroin. And we were like the scum of the earth Mm -hmm. for being drug addicts like that, you know. Um, But now who's dying from from overdoses. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of young, rich, white kids right. that their parents probably gave them everything they wanted and they spent their money. And now some of these kids, just like my kids, you know, I had two of them that died from the same thing. At least that's what the coroner said. Yeah. Uh, me and my wife choose to believe it was something else, but they did have drugs in their system. And we done a 360 on heroin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always believed we should help people with drug problems. So that they could see their way out of it, yeah. and then come back to society. And in the sixties and seventies, they just want to lock everybody up. Now, they're trying to help people, yeah. and that's what I mean by we always can become better people. Yeah, you know. Well, and I think that key key to it. And I want in a second. I want to I want to make sure I bring this up, and then we'll, I want to touch base with you about about your family. And, okay. Uh, but um, I just listened to someone just recently talk about it's this development of uh, evolving from it being about me mm-hmm. to it being uh, evolving to we. And as we evolve to the we, um, instead of me thinking always about myself, but thinking about uh, whoever my neighbor is, thinking about mm-hmm. the person next to me, you know, then I have a greater opportunity to do good. Mm-hmm. When I'm always thinking about me, I'm, I, I'm, I have a limited capacity how good I can so uh, the idea was about this um, evolving um, developmentally, spiritually as well as as a person. Um, this this when we we're young, and and young may not be a chronological thing. It's, it may be, uh, you know, lower level thinking. And in this, I'm thinking about myself or this dualistic thinking. It's us versus them. You know, for us football players, you're either a Bears fan or other you yeah, know right. <laughs> so you know and so this and and then at some point I remember evolving <laughs> to the to that enjoying watching the game yeah. and not necessarily needing a certain outcome to be there right and um because it, it, I just enjoyed watching football mm-hmm. and and that and I think that is how like what I hear you saying of as you were focused on yourself in which we all go through, and then as you were listening to stories of your grandmother, 
you know, via your aunt and uncle and, 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 and knowing that it was time for a change, didn't right. know how that was going to happen. Didn't. And then a couple things come together. And like all of us, you know, it's usually some bottom. Yeah. You got to you got to decide. Yeah. <laughs> Is it yeah. going to be, you know, you're going to be here on the streets and unemployed and, you know, and want to be that guy um, for, for my wife and kids and, and whatever, or am I going to make a change? And not only make a change for them and for yourself, but then for a bigger purpose and a bigger cause. But t- t- go ahead. Well, you know, when you, when you were saying that, uh, there's, there's a motivational speaker named Les Brown I used to listen oh, to yeah. a lot. Yeah. And uh, he has this saying that says, it's better to be prepared for an opportunity and not get it. Mm-hmm. than to get an opportunity and not be prepared. Right. Uh, I wasn't really prepared for that TV-type show, yeah. but in my mind, I was ready for it mm-hmm. because of all the things I had been through. Yeah. And that's, that's why I bring that up. A lot of times, people don't prepare themselves for success. Right. And then when it comes to them, they, they can't handle it. Um, or they run from it. Or they run from it, absolutely. Yeah. And I've seen that happen. But I just always felt that my outlook, when I put drugs down and I could actually look at my seven children and, and realize, and, you know, I used to work with my son Carlos. Yeah. Uh, Carlos was the one that really, you know, made me wake up. When I used to keep my marijuana pipe in my ashtray when I'd come home from work. He was one years old. Well, he saw me as just growing up as a one-year-old. Come home, grab my pipe, sit down and smoke. And then one night I came home from work, he ran and grabbed my pipe with the ashtray, pipes in it, and he brought it to me and said it to me, and I, and I looked. Around that time, all this stuff was going on with mm-hmm. FedEx. And mm-hmm. So it really made me take a look at myself yeah. and say, I want to be a, a better father. Mm-hmm. you know. And being a better father made me at least think I was a better man. And then all this stuff started happening, mm-hmm. TV show, Juneteenth. FedEx accepted me back, you know, like nothing happened. All I had to do was just stay clean. Mm-hmm. It just it just worked. Yeah. And I try to encourage other people that, you know, if you get out of your own way sometime, yeah. you'd be surprised yeah. how things can turn out for you. Yeah. Well, and I think without a doubt, you, you not that you weren't scared, not that you weren't, you know, apprehensive about it, but you, you also took that opportunity and you moved moved ahead with those things. And I think whenever we're trying um, to to do things outside of ourselves, help mm-hmm. other people, um, we're in that flow. We're in right. that you know something greater than ourselves is happening. For me, that's that's God, and I'm in that mm-hmm. I'm in that space. And, and 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 when I need courage, you know, that's what I'm asking for right. at that moment. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if there necessarily is a benefit of not having obstacles in the way. Um, it's more about how can I have the courage and the intelligence to be able to operate um, through those obstacles mm-hmm. um, because obstacles are going to happen. Yeah, and, they, yeah. they're definitely going to happen. So, so, you, so I know I, I worked with Carlos, at, uh, and you have seven kids, right? Seven. Seven, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I worked with Carlos when we were at Harlem and, I, and, and helped him in the classroom as well as when I was coaching him. And then, um, and, I'm, and I'm drawing a blank right now, then you had another daughter, you had a daughter that I also coached, and uh, she was in track, um, 
and I want to say it was Gina, but I know Gina sings. Yeah, Gina sings. She was and Gina was raised with my first wife. Okay, okay, so okay, so, so that was, must have been Sherelle was really good in track. So it was Sherelle. That's Sherelle. who it was. Yeah, uh -huh. and um, so I remember coaching her um, yeah. as well. So so two two kids from the first marriage. Right, and then four, or five, five. It, it was five, but my stepdaughter. Oh, okay. uh, was one and a half when I met her. Okay. And then me and Evelyn had four more kids together. Okay. Okay. All right. So total of seven. Okay. And, and <laughs> yeah. so what 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 was what was it like raising raising all those kids and 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 now you have you said sixteen grandchildren. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, t I tell you, uh, women are something else. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say that. I mean, I had a mother, uh, and. I, I attribute my first wife with working with my first two kids. Uh, they're doing great. And then Evelyn raised our other five. And I, I can truly say if I didn't have those two women, I don't know what my kids would have turned out to be because I wasn't a good father. I was selfish mm -hmm. in my drug addiction. I was selfish. Mm -hmm. That's what I think a lot of people that are addicted to drugs, they're, they're selfish. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with being selfish, but it's got, you got to pick your spots. And mm -hmm. Drugs mm -hmm. is probably not one of them. Mm -hmm. But I, I attribute to my kids growing up to be, you know, who they are, even though we had some pitfalls. Mm -hmm. uh, their mothers really did a great job. And when I got myself together, I just chimed in okay. to help. And I worked a lot to sure. make sure we had what we needed. Right, right. You know, and, uh, you know we, we lost two of them along the way. Yeah. But uh, they were great kids. Mm -hmm. It's just, I felt they didn't find themselves like I found myself. Okay. They were right at the point of being able to figure out who they were, that I think they were going to get to that point that they didn't need drugs or anything. And they just never got there. And I think it's a lot of the young people that we're losing in this thing called life because they don't really know you know, you just don't know what life has to offer for you right. unless you really seek it out. Yeah. And there's some people that just they just give up on seeking it out and they go with what makes them feel good. Right. And and that stuff makes them feel good, but it ain't good for you. Right. And that's why I think a lot of people and I think my two kids kind of lost out on their real potential. Mm -hmm. You know, they lost their lives behind it. Yeah. But they really were good people, and I think a lot of young people that's leaving this earth today they just need a little bit more help like like i tried to tell people when i started my tv show and i started juneteenth i felt so good about myself i didn't want to go back yeah. to that lifestyle i just didn't and i said everybody can't have a tv show everybody right. can't do all these great things but people can find something in their life to make them feel so good that they don't want to destroy themselves mm -hmm. And I think we need to help people find that. Yeah. And I don't know what all the answers are, but I, I didn't help my two kids find that. I mean, I thought I was helping, yeah. but I just, I, I figure I failed at some point, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's just how life is. Well, and I think that I think there's so many other factors that, that yeah. play into it. You know, kind of like even in your story, you talked about certain individuals stepping in mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, telling slash asking you to, you know, play football or, or do these different sports. Mm -hmm. And then you also, timing-wise, there happened to be that, you know, success. And, and you 
evolved in that and you grew into that piece and so I think there's some of those other things and and I know that you've talked about this before there's some other things that may have played played a part in in, in your in your children's uh, struggle mm-hmm. and it wasn't just addiction right. um, or drug use but yeah. you, you've talked about some mental health issues yes yeah, some mental health issues Carlos he definitely had some Capri was more depressed uh, I had found out later that she had been uh, sexually assaulted by some young man. I remember the night she went out with those guys, but I didn't know what had happened to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she told her mother later, and and I found out years later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, women go through things that sometimes men don't understand how it, how it messes with their mind. Yeah. You know, and uh, Carlos, he was a good athlete, mm-hmm. and he, you know, when he got cut off the basketball team at Harlem, yeah. it just did something to him. He went down the other road, and I always felt that coach, I won't mention his name, but I always felt that coach that cut him could have helped shape his life because he was really one of the best players on the team, and they cut him because of his mouth. But, see, Carlos was bipolar, and, you know, he's ADHD, and he would say things like that, but he was a really good athlete. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he got cut off that team, it just I saw him go the other way. Mm -hmm. Those are the things I mean when we help people find that good thing in their life. They they attach on to that, and and they enjoy that more than yeah. what drugs could offer. Yeah. You can't do it for everybody, yeah. but I think it's good for us to at least try to help people find that yeah. and uh, not judge them so bad. And then they got to come out of that drug addiction because only you can, you know, like they say, only you can prevent forest fires. Right, right, right. Only you can stop yourself from using drugs. Right. I mean, there was nobody else. Nobody was pressuring me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I quit cocaine by myself. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to no rehab or anything. Yeah. My father told me how to quit. Okay. And he never used anything. He never even drank. Okay. Unless he had a cold, he would put some lemon, some whiskey, and boil it and then drink that. And But he told me, he says, whatever you do, you have to. Now, I'm not saying this works for everybody. Mm. But he said you have to gradually quit something. It's just like leaving a woman you don't, you know, you think you can never leave mm-hmm. or leaving a guy you think you can never leave. You leave him, and then you might go back. And if you go back, you say, well, I can't quit this. Mm-hmm. But then you leave him alone, and then you look at how you felt. Mm-hmm. You know, when I left drugs alone, I had money in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I could take my, my kids out. We could do things. When I used drugs, I had nothing. Mm-hmm. And they just looked at me. So after that, for about nine months, periodically using, leaving alone, using, I was able to weigh out what I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the Chicago Bulls lost to the Detroit Lions before they started winning the championships, that was the last night I smoked okay. cocaine. Okay. I broke my crack pipe, and I said, my good days were better when I wasn't using. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to see that. My bad days were horrible, and from that day on, I never touched cocaine again. Yeah. Well, and I think you, like you said, there, there's that element that you um, you had already experienced um, by by having certain days 
that you'd been clean. Mm-hmm. You had an opportunity. You knew, you, you you know, I don't know if at this point you, well, you were working at FedEx. You knew this was coming down the pipe. Yeah, it was coming. Yeah. It was coming. Co- you know, yeah. So that, that was another element. Um, but you now had experienced what it was like to be clear-headed, mm-hmm. to have money in your pocket, right. and, and then being able to step and be able to feel like that honorable man that right. you now feel like you can be. Yeah. And, and, and you're, you've experienced being. Last night I was um, happened to be on uh, on another podcast and called um, unapologetic uh, unapologetically ignorant is the name <laughs> okay. of their podcast. Okay, oh, okay. Couple, a couple of guys, couple uh, a couple of guys. I think I know Ricky Ellis graduated from uh, Jefferson, two thousand four ish to the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and then. Um, Julia um, Johnson is the other individual, and um, b- both black guys and um, good guys. And this is the first time I'd met them. But one of the things that they had commented on was, uh, e- even in their own experience, how um, there's a reluctancy, uh, especially by um, males, black males, to ask for help, to, to get counseling. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is your thoughts about that? Well, I, I know a young man that's in the counseling named Kevin Thomas. He mm. came to me last November about that same. We did a TV show. Okay. On. Mental illness is something that e- even I didn't want to deal with, that my mm. son, yeah. Carlos, had a mental illness, mm. you know. And uh, there's a lot of people in, in the black community that don't understand when some of these young kids are doing some of this crazy stuff, you, you can't understand it. Mm. They have mental issues, mm-hmm. they, and they need help. Mm-hmm. But see... A lot of people overlook it. Sometimes teachers overlook it. The principals overlook it. And they keep disciplining them, and they don't get the help that these kids need. Next thing you know, they got a criminal record, mm-hmm. and they're in the system. Yeah. I heard a stat a while back. You might know it better than me. Way over 50%, I can't say way over, like 50 to 60% of all inmates have some form of mental illness. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. And if people don't understand that, if you can't help them get their heads clear, they're going to be a burden on on, mm-hmm. on society. Mm-hmm. You know, right now a lot of them are in prison. Yeah. So I know that mental illness plays a big part in the black community mm-hmm. that um, we have to start recognizing this. Uh, there was a, a doctor named Charles Smith who started Group oh, yeah. Hope. Yeah, yeah, he's a friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. So Dr. Smith came to me. I used to work with his daughter, Karen. Yeah. And he says, Tommy... There is a big problem in the black community. I need your help. Mm-hmm. Can we set up some group hopes in the black community to see if we get more African Americans to come and try to hash out some of the problems? I did it for like three months, uh, every week. Um, nobody came. Yeah. No, and I knew people. One lady came, and the the the, the description of her daughter's problems. I hate to see where that girl is at right now. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. But she couldn't get her daughter to come. Yeah. She couldn't get her daughter to pay attention to some, you know, counselors that could really help her. Yeah. And uh, it just goes on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last night when we were talking, they asked me, well, what what can they do? You know, someone they know, you know, or they're concerned about, they care about, what could they do? And I, you know, I said, well, part of it is is what they were doing last night. You know, we were just on a on the show having a conversation about the topics of depression, suicide, anxiety, um, substance abuse. And I know that that's what you and I talked about on your show that we're talking about like right now. Right. Um, I know that on, uh, on Juneteenth, um, on June 19th, I'll be out and, and we'll be talking right. a little bit about that. I think mm-hmm. the more that we can talk about it, the more that 
we can be more open about it. you've been you know you've been very transparent about sharing your story and 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 how you've been able to make um, make a change mm-hmm. and and what was your why for that change mm-hmm. and I think that's all part of it hopefully that we can slowly start breaking the stigma um, around it not not just I mean I think it's hard enough for us as males in general mm-hmm. and then and then if we have other things uh, that that you know, we don't have anyone around us that's actually gone and gotten help or been willing to be vulnerable enough to ask for help. Right. And then at the same time, in our field, in my field, uh, are we going to be open to um, helping, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how are we going to be able to help and not fall into stereotypes or not fall? And I think it's all those uh, all those things together um, we can start making a difference. I, I, to- I totally agree with you. Uh, I think when people need help in this world, they should get yeah. all the way up until they, until they don't want to accept it anymore. And then when they don't want to accept the help that people are offering them, they're on their own. Yeah. But at least we got to be there to help people. Yeah. If a person has a mental illness and they need to get away from life just to get their bearings back and get the proper help, they should have a place to go. We're hurting on that yeah. as our society. Yeah. I mean, we are hurting. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's hurting us as a people that people can't get the help they need. Yeah. And uh, it just makes us worse when we could be better. Yeah. You know? And I think there is things that we've also are starting to talk about and learn about that it's, it's different ways of how to help people. Mm-hmm. Sports, the arts, um, getting involved with something bigger than yourself, um, as well as talking through some things um, and, and, and helping somebody who's had trauma recognize that it wasn't their fault. Um, that those things have happened. That, that's a good point. You know, the guys that I work with, when the former chairman, Scott Christensen, asked me to uh, expand the work that I was doing with my mentoring program, uh, PTSD. PTSD, yeah. Everybody thinks that somebody went to Vietnam mm-hmm. or, you know, Iraq or something like that or Afghanistan. That's true. But some of these kids living in these streets, man, they see that every day. They've seen their friends murdered. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine what that does. Yeah. I mean, I know what happened to me when my kids died. Yeah. You know, it just did something to me. Yeah. And you see some of these young kids out there, their best friend was with them the day before, next day he's dead. Yeah. You know, it's it, PTSD is big. Yeah. And, and, and uh, a lot of inner city kids have it. Yeah. And uh, as a society, I think we should be there to help. I think there's certain pockets of things that are getting better. Mm-hmm. We're talking about it more. We're doing things like this. We're doing other types of activities. Right. Um, but I, I definitely there's more work to be done. So yeah. so as we get ready to wrap up today, okay. um, uh, you have a big event coming up, you know. Um, yep, at uh, Mississippi Park, uh, June 19th yeah. from 3 o'clock to roughly 8.30, 9 o'clock. Okay. Uh, it's called Juneteenth Celebration number 29. Okay. And uh, we have a lot of, I got my young niece working with me this year. She's into this hip-hop and this rap. And I've stayed away from it for many years. Okay. But I've been losing a lot of young kids because they don't like older mu- music and sure. stuff. So I let her handle the entertainment this year. Okay. And uh, 29 years, I've never had any trouble at okay. Juneteenth. I hope it stays that way. Okay. But I am reaching out to younger people this year. Okay. And, um it's going to be, like I said, June 19th at Mississippi. It's a good time for all. I just mentioned this one last point yeah, if I yeah, can. Yeah. My cousin was a big songwriter for uh, 
he traveled the world with Mariah Carey. Okay. Uh, he was her music director for like five years in Vegas, and then yeah. they traveled the world. He wrote for Janet Jackson, Michael Jackson, Prince, Celine Dion, Sting, down the list, hundreds of big performers. And he died uh, last uh, September. Okay. And a lot of people never really knew how great of a songwriter he was, but we knew it, and a lot of people in Rockford knew it. Mm -hmm. So we're having a tribute band of some of the songs that he wrote for oh. big stars. Okay. And uh, we, that's what we're, we're going to finish our event that night, and then I'm going to offer up a free trip for two. If you're there okay. and you have a special free ticket, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to pay for it. If I pull your number and send you to Galveston, Texas, maybe Houston, then you go to Galveston because okay. it's a little island okay. uh, for a celebration of June 19th. Okay. And, uh, trip for two, free. All right. Nice, nice. When When is the tribute band going to be playing? They're the last from 7.30 to about 8.30. So, so they're, 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 they're the last. That'll, that'll be the last, yeah, be the the last, last act. Mm -hmm. Okay, nice. All right. Well, well, Tommy, thank you very much for, for being here. If there was uh, one last thing that you would want the, the audience to know, uh, what would be one thing you'd want to share with them? There's two words that I like to share with people, love and forgiveness. Okay. I think those are the key words that if we start living like that, we could fix a lot of problems in this world. Yeah. Plus, humanity is important. Yeah. So forgive and be more loving. Yeah, that's it. And then be able to accept love. Right. Tommy, thank you very much for being with me today on the journey. And uh, I know that there'll be a lot of people that will benefit from getting to know you a little bit more. I appreciate you more than you know. I really think you could have helped my son. Yeah, I really do. I wish I would have had some more time with him. Yeah, me too. So, thank right. you. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for being here um, with us today, Tommy, uh, Tommy Meeks on the journey. And um, next week, uh, please join us as we have another episode. Thank you very much.